My title tonight is The New Testament Evidence of the Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I qualify that by saying New Testament because there really was a baptism in the Spirit in the Old Testament as well that wasn't quite like what we have now. But let's pray. We're going to jump into this and we're going to talk about it and then we'll answer some questions. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we get into your word. We thank you that it reveals to us truth. It is the very thing that illuminates our mind. And it establishes us because it is established forever in heaven. And Father, we thank you that when we come, Lord, you give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness, Father, to communicate the word. And Father, that you give each one who's hearing ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be a doer of the word. Father, and that is how we're changed, not just by hearing, but by doing. That is how we know and get our mind renewed, is by doing. Jesus said it's that... Uh, doing the word is how we know if the doctrine is true. In other words, we test it out in our life and we see that it works and it's real. So, Father, we thank you that we can do that. I pray that. Ask your blessing tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, you know, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a type of baptism. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I found it interesting today, you know, uh, Rachel's down at ORU. They have their chapels on Wednesdays and Fridays and Dr. Wilson does most of those chapels. He's the president of the, of the uh, you know, the whole university, and he is one truly Pentecostal, spirit-filled, tongue-talking advocate of the baptism of the Spirit. And I love that guy, and he had a great sermon today, and it was about uh, your secret, how do you call it, the, his invisible friend. You know, of course, the world, they have Pokemon they're chasing around like a nitwit, uh, this invisible thing that they're chasing around that's not real. Probably a demon can assume that role and lead him right out in front of a car and get hit. And there have been some near accidents because of that. And so this, this invisible thing, uh, anytime you assign a personality to something invisible, guess what? You're, you can be rest assured you're going to invite a demon into your life. My roommate was into dungeon, Dungeons Dragons and Dungeons, Dungeons Dragons, I don't, Dungeons and Dragons, that's what it was. And he said, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. I go, Danny, I go, listen to me, dude. This is like demonic, weird, backward stuff. Uh, Don't even try to tell me that this doesn't have a spiritual component to it. He says, oh, no way. He says, it's just a game. And I go, that's right. It is to the devil. It's just a game. And he's got you completely fooled. And he he wouldn't listen to me for anything. And after several months, that thing began to take over his life. And he began to be controlled by it more and more. He began to be completely, um, how can I say, separated from reality, separated from his regular day-in and day-out life, until all he was doing was thinking and role-playing and being the exact thing that the Bible says we're supposed to do with Christ, with Jesus, and he was acting it out, he was living it, he was meditating on it, he who keeps his mind stayed on me will keep in perfect peace, but he kept his mind stayed on this role that he was playing and he finally came to me and he was terrified he said he says bill he said i cannot believe but i have been through a transition where i used to play the role i began to think the role all the time i began to be in that role constantly because it's role playing he says and now i'm so deep into the role i don't know who i am and i don't know if i can get back to who i really am how many say that's pretty demonic and he says, you are absolutely right. He says, there is a voice on the inside of me, and it's controlling me, and I need to be delivered from it. And I'm throwing away the Dungeons and Dragons. I'm getting rid of that trash. He says, I should have listened to you. He says, you're absolutely right. I wanted to say, I know I was. <laughs> but I, I didn't say that, thank the Lord. Uh, but it's, it's really true. And this, these, these Pokemon games and all these things, they're not demonic in and of themselves. But the devil's smart enough to see an opportunity, guys. He's not stupid like some of the people who are playing the game. And so here's the deal. Don't be caught up in that stuff. But anyway, he was saying, but we have, and now Pokemon's an imposter, Dungeon Dragon's an imposter, all these things are imposters, but we do have an invisible friend who is our counselor, our comforter, our connection, our confidence, and many other things. I think he had about five C's uh, where he described uh, you know, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby, the, you know, all these things, comforter, counselor, all these things. And I thought, gosh, that sounds a lot like sermons I've given. 
And I thought, well, Rachel's getting kind of a rehash of a lot of things I've taught her, so that's good. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and I want to say this, and that I got a little off subject there because I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit's been saying, reemphasize and get back into that flow of teaching on the baptism of the Spirit because it's really happening. When I hear that the guy who's the head of InterVarsity for both Central College and William Penn has recently got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and in Central College they're having kids getting up and praying in tongues and giving prophecies, and this thing is starting to take off in Central College like it has been at William Penn for the last couple of years, and he's, and he's saying his whole emphasis is the empowerment of the Spirit is going to be his emphasis and his theme for William Penn University. I thought, well, praise God. And I had just been praying for the last several days, and the Lord has been speaking to me uh, about our need for emphasis, our need for definition and understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I, as I talk about that, you know, I, I've talked to people, and today one of the things that's undermining the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the idea, and it's partially true, but it's not really true, the idea that you don't really have to have tongues as the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me, let me explain some things why that's really not quite right. And, I, you know, I often talk to people who, who, who think that way. And, uh, but what they don't understand is all throughout the Old Testament, there really was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, throughout the Old Testament, many times talk about the Spirit being upon the prophet and the, 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 the prophet, the priest, and the king. The Spirit of God came upon them many times. And all the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is not having the Spirit within, but the Spirit upon. There's two powers out there. And there's one for salvation. That's you, yourself, you, yourself, me, myself, and I. That's for my salvation. There's an empowerment. And that's Romans 1.16 where it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Everybody say power of God. The gospel is about getting born again. Can, can I get an Amen. The gospel of Christ is about being born again, and it's the power of God unto salvation, being born again. So that's one power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Jew first, also the Greek, all of them believe. But then there is Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. Everybody say power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that you might be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, now there's a second power. Not a power just for you and for your salvation, but now there's a power that will rest upon you, that's not in you, that rests upon you to be a witness to others. Can I get an amen? Amen. So there's a power for your salvation, and there's a power to lead other peoples into their salvation. And that is by way of a witness for other people. In the Old Testament, the Spirit rested upon the prophet, the king, and the, uh, the prophet, priest, and the king. Did you know in the Old Testament, seven out of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit were in, how can I say, uh, were operate, operating or in operation, however you want to say that. And we know, and we look because we know the power gifts, we know that there is working of miracles. We, we can state many miracles, the parting of the Red Sea. You know, we, we can talk about the power gifts, the gift of faith where they spoke to something and, and it took place. And, you know, you can, because the, the special faith is basically speaking the word and having something happen, because faith is believing your heart and speaking with your mouth. And so special faith, or the gift of faith, is when you speak to something that happens. The working of miracles is when you do something, like Jesus rubbed mud in the guy's eye. So there's working of miracles, there's special faith, there's healing. We know people were healed. We know that the prophets would lay, even lay down and even raise people from the dead, lay upon their body and transfer the anointing into their body. And so we know that all the power gifts were there in the Old Testament. We know the revelation gifts were there. We know there's discerning of spirits. They saw angels. Uh, We know not only is there discerning of spirits, but there's words of wisdom. And that's telling them something that was going to happen. We know that there is words of knowledge. That's telling them something that presently exists. Knowledge about something they're not privy to. So we know all those gifts of revelation were there. And we know that there was one gift that was an utterance gift. And that was prophecy. We know that was in the Old Testament. But see, in the New Testament, it goes from seven, and it adds tongues and interpretation of tongues. So the New Testament was an advent of not only the spirit that could just rest upon you, but now could live within you. He says over in John, the spirit is with you, and he shall be in you. 
And so now we have this spirit living within us, and how many of you know out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? And so now it, there appears the same time the spirit comes within us, causes our inward spirit to be born again, and now it's a qualified place where the Holy Ghost can dwell because it's sanctified, and he can dwell in there. And now out of the abundance of our heart that's been recreated after the image of God, now we can begin to speak in another language, in tongues, and then have also the gift to interpret the tongues which was not there in the Old Testament. So, going from the Old Testament, there was a spirit upon, there were seven of the nine gifts operating, to not only having the spirit upon, but the spirit within, and a continual flowing up and out and upon as you be being filled with the spirit as we're commanded to in the Bible. So we can always be being filled with the spirit. It's up to us to be filled with the spirit. Matter of fact, we're told and given the mandate to be continually being filled with the spirit, where in the Old Testament, it only happened as the sovereign will of God came upon them and the spirit would come upon them and the gifts would begin to operate uh, through them. So I believe that truly the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's evidence, the New Testament evidence for the baptism of the spirit is truly uh, speaking in tongues. Another reason why I believe that is it is a catalyst for prayer. It's, one of the, it's the only of all the gifts that can be used for prayer. There's three basic uses for tongues. There's a sign to the unbeliever, like on the day of Pentecost, when they came out of the upper room and they all spoke in tongues, and they all heard them in their own language speaking the mighty works of God, it says in verse 11 in Acts chapter 2. So there's a sign for the unbeliever. Nobody was there interpreting it because they all heard it in their own language. And that's the sign for the unbeliever fulfilling 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Then there's another type of tongues. It's for in the church, church edification. Paul said, I, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but rather that you prophesied for greater seed that prophesies than he that speaks in our own tongue. Except that he interpreted it, that the church might receive edifying. And so now that's where somebody gets up in front of a church, they give a tongue, and then they give an interpretation. That's usually pastors, just like the sign for the unbeliever is usually with evangelists. But then Paul talks about praying tongues, that's for us. And he says, and if there's no prophets and there's nobody to stand by to judge, then we can pray in tongues to ourselves and to God, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 28. It says, he who speaks not in tongues speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands how be in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. It says, if I pray in on tongue, if I speak it on tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So there's a praying in tongues. See, none of the other gifts of the Spirit, of the nine gifts of the Spirit, there's only one that causes you to pray supernaturally. And supernatural prayer produces supernatural results. And that's the difference. Is everybody following me tonight? Does this make sense to everybody? So, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, it was always the sovereign will of God that brought these things. And it only could happen with the prophet, priest, and king because they had a special level of sanctification. But now in the New Testament, we all have a level of sanctification because from the inward out, we're sanctified and we're born again and we have a new creation inside that's created after God and true righteousness and holiness, says in Ephesians 4 and 23. So when we understand that, we can say, hey, you know, now we can pray from a sanctified source where the Holy Spirit overrides and he prays the perfect will of God, it says in Romans 8 and 27, because it says, he that knows the mind of the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And how many of you know, we always say it, the will of God is equal to the what? Word of God. Because they're one and the same. You can never change that. The will of God is the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. And that's the way it allows, you can't change that. It's, it just is. Because there's no part of God's will that's not in his word. There's no part of God's word that's not in part of his will. And so whenever it says the will of God, we know that's synonymous with the word of God. And so when we pray in the Spirit, we're praying always, perfectly, the will or the word of God. And so that's very important that we understand that. So now we know in every situation that we may not know how to pray as we ought. If we pray in tongues, we're praying the perfect will or word of God concerning that situation. Can I get an amen? And how many of you know sometimes when you pray, you need to have one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate? You might need to have a word of knowledge to know it's going to happen or what's happening. If somebody's robbing your house right now, God could give you a word of knowledge. You go home and chase them off. God, you know, if somebody's planning on robbing your house tomorrow, you can get the alarm system, lock it up, and stay there and make sure that it never happens. I'm just using crazy, silly examples. But you think about that. But if you pray in tongues, then you can have a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge because when you pray supernaturally, you can receive supernaturally. And supernatural 
things take supernatural prayer because we wouldn't know to pray those things otherwise. But the Holy Spirit knows to pray them through us. And we don't have to know. He can pray them through us. So, well, what does that have to do with, with uh, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence being tongues? Well, let's, we, we can start out in Mark 16, and, and I'll just, we don't have to turn there, but Mark 16, we all know it, going to all the world, preach the gospel. Every creature, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. Cast the devil out, speak with new tongues. Boy, you, you've, you've made a, a huge advance right there. If you can cast the devil out and have perfect communication with, dog, with God in prayer, then you have already almost won the battle just right there. So Jesus said that before it had ever happened. Nobody had spoken in tongues when Jesus said that. How many of Jesus said that before the day of Pentecost? That's in the Gospels. It's not in the book of Acts. So Jesus said, and they shall speak with tongues. Well, nobody knows what tongues is. They shall speak with new tongues. And I believe that's creational tongues. That's praying in tongues. That's not known tongues. That's not the tongue of men. It's not the tongue of angels. It's a new tongue that's creational that happens as you speak it. Because how many of you know there's not words for what we need to say many times? When it says that, and the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know how to pray as well, but the Spirit itself make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One, one says with inexpressible yearnings. One, one says with inarticulate speech. Another one says with groanings that there are no words for. One translator says. So we can pray things that there are no words for. Aren't you glad we can pray things there are no words for? You know, it'd be terrible to be in a foreign country and not know the language because you wouldn't have words for what you needed to communicate. But with God, you don't, we, are, we can be in a language uh, deficit and, and not know, but, but God makes it up and he causes us to pray out supernaturally in tongues. But the second reason why I believe it absolutely is the... Uh, Evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. And I, and I believe it's for everyone because Paul says, I would that you all spake in tongues. Jesus said, they that believe will speak in tongues. And Jesus commands all of us to believe. So if Jesus commands all of us to believe, he wouldn't command us to do it and not be able to or he'd be unjust and unfair. Can I get an amen? So if he uh, says that uh, those who believe, all those that believe can speak in tongues. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils and speak with new tongues. So, how many of you can believe tonight? Jesus says we can all believe, right? He commands us all to believe. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. They that come must believe that he is, and he's rewarded them that diligently seek him. So, it's impossible to please God without believing, without faith. So, we know that we all can believe, because Jesus commands us to, and he wouldn't command us to do something that we can't do, or that would make him unjust, and that would make him unrighteous, and that would make him not who he is. So, he commands all of us to have faith. And so... It says, and whoever has faith or believes will speak in tongues. And then Paul said, I would that you all speak in tongues. And then it says in Acts 2, 4, it says when uh, they were all in one place and in one accord, and they all began to speak in tongues. And it says, and they all began to speak with tongues. They all began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says all. And that was the pilot program right there, those 120 it wasn't like just the ones that had the gift, like you know, 40% of them or 30% of them or 80% of them. No, they all did. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they all came out and had power to do things that were unnatural. Okay, Isaiah, let's go to the other prophecy that even came before Jesus prophesied there'd be this thing about tongues. And so we go back to Isaiah 28, and I want to also point something out, that through the Bible there's this strange correlation between drunkenness or depending on the spirit the world depends upon getting drunk to be high to be their comforter they go down to the bar talk to the bartender to be their counselor Uh, when they're drunk you know uh, they get somebody to talk for them so that's their intercessor and then they get in trouble and they need a lawyer to get them out of jail and that's their advocate and all the things that the holy spirit are comes from being a drunk. Now look at this, Isaiah 28. We're going to begin in the very first part of the chapter. And it says, Woe unto the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is fading is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. And all these sipping saints today, I cannot believe how many Christians think it's just fine to go out and drink. 
Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which has as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm as a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden underfoot. And the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be fading a fading flower and the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand he eateth it up. These people are drunks, they're just gluttons, they're, they're doing whatever they want. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. In other words, this is all going to change one day. This drunken party that these people think that their life is. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. The preachers are even drunks. They're swallowed up in wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit. Oh, isn't that just a lovely sight? And filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Everybody's puking all over. Today we'd say, all the preachers are puking all over the place. And there isn't even a clean place. Oh, don't sit there. There's puke on that, on that chair. Don't, don't, don't put your arms on the pulpit. He threw up all over it. They're a bunch of drunks. It's pathetic. Whom shall we teach knowledge? And whom shall we make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. Now, get to them before they become drunks. Get them when they're little kids. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue. Oh, stop right there. For with stammering lips and another tongue. There's going to come a day. Where do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's going to come a day where there's going to be a man by the name of Paul that's going to say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, after all this stuff about the drunks in Israel, he says this, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Well, on the day of Pentecost, with stammering lips and another tongue, he spoke to this people, the Israelites. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith may cause the weary to rest. And how many know the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us peace and rest? And we're to enter into that rest. This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear it. How many of you know many of the Jews would not hear it? They said, these men are drunk. Are these men not drunk? And he says, no. Peter says, no, these men are not drunk as you suppose, guys. These guys have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on their lives. That's why they're talking funny and everybody's hearing them in their own tongue and they're speaking the mighty works of God and all these strange things are happening in your carnal little world where you can't wrap your unrenewed mind around it. Can I get an amen? And so all this is happening and they're speaking in tongues and, and all this stuff and, and it describes it back in the Old Testament. And, and there's a direct correlation where they think they're drunk. Because they're not used to people acting any other way uh, like that unless they're drunk. They're so used to pe- people being drunk that if they ask them at least a little bit funny, well, they must be drunk. And, you know, and if you don't depend on the Spirit, you can become a drunk very easily. But they would not hear it. But then it says because they didn't hear it, they're falling back and they're broken and they're snared and they're taken and they're ruined. Well... Israel went through a lot of bad stuff since then. Can I get an amen? Like, how about the Holocaust? And how about, like, the whole world ganging up on them? How about being estranged from their land for 2,500 years? How about still being picked on on every college campus in America today? The anti-Semitism has gone wild. Okay. So it doesn't work that good when you... Life doesn't work good when you reject the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? And when you do reject tongues. And Pentecostalism is the largest segment of Christianity today. Gallup poll tells us that. And it's by far the fastest growing. It's by far the most effective in winning souls and in the mission field. Can I get an amen? By far. There's nothing that compares now. Okay. So, here they are. Drunkenness replaces the joy of God's spirit. 
in Isaiah 28. And he foretells of a baptism of the Spirit where it will be those who reject it and it will be evidenced by speaking in tongues. This is the Old Testament saying that there will be a day with stuttering lips and they'll speak in another language to this people. They prophesied the day of Pentecost, or Isaiah did, way back hundreds of years before it happened. Can I get an amen? See, and it's clearly talking about Acts 2, 1 through 18, because they came out speaking in tongues, and then they said, oh, these men are drunk, not drunk as you suppose. Uh, you know, these men, uh, these the stammering lips, and, and so there was an alluding to drunkenness. And, and then let's go to Joel 3 and 28, 29, and he says, you know, that he'll pour out his spirit. And Joel said that. He's the prophet that said that. And we can look there in, in Joel in 3 and 28 and 29, and it says, And it shall come to pass that afterwards I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men will see visions upon my servants and upon my handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. And Peter quoted that verse and said, That's what this is. This is the Holy Spirit. This isn't drunkenness. It's the Holy Spirit. It isn't drunkenness like back in the days of Isaiah where they were all drunk. And then he prophesied there'd be this tongues thing There'd be this talking in tongues thing that was going to take place. He says, he, he, he directly, I, you know he had to be thinking about that scripture. That was his Bible. About, you know, this is not drunkenness like you think. Like we remember back what Isaiah talked about years and years ago. But this is that pouring out of the spirit where it'll be with stammering lips and another tongue. Will I speak to this people? And he's talking about that. But Joel said something else that's very interesting. Because he said in one, the same prophet that said that there would be an outpouring says in Joel 1 and 5, Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine. Because of the new wine, everybody say new wine. How many know the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is called the new wine in the scriptures? Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. If you stay with drinking, you won't. Get the new wine if you want to hold on to your alcohol. And I don't think there's anybody here that that drinks alcohol. But if you want to hold on to your alcohol, you'll be cut off from the new wine. You can't drink from the wickedness of this world and drunkenness and think that you can also drink from the new wine of the Holy Spirit that gives us joy in the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? You're not going to drink from... You're not going to be able to get... Now, I'm not saying somebody has a, a glass of wine or something, but I mean... You drink to get drunk. You all understand what I'm saying? Some people drink to get drunk. The very thing that they should be looking to God for, they're looking to alcohol to to provide for them. Now let's go over to Ephesians 5 where it talks about that. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, I can find you three, four, maybe more things where it talks about drinking and then the filling of the Spirit. Because we drink it in and we get filled like overflowing and why I think it's similar to drunkenness is you get more and more full of the Holy Spirit and it starts manifesting outwardly. How many of you know if you get more and more of Jack Daniels, it starts manifesting outwardly. Can I get an amen? Amen. So the more you get refilled with Jack, the more you act like a Jack something. And so you, you know, my neighbor called me over one time, old, old Chuck. Uh, what's Chuck's last name, honey? Old Chuck Barnhouse. And he was sitting out in the back of his house. And he said, she said come on over here, neighbor. Sit down. And uh, he says, how you doing? I said, good, good. How are you doing? He says, good, really good. He says, how would you like some wild turkey? <laughs> to me not being a drinker. I thought, he, I thought somebody shot a turkey and they were going to have a sandwich with the guy. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with all these vodkas and whiskeys and moonshine and whatever. I don't know what people drink. I'm not a drinker. So, and he said, no, no, no. He said, I mean some wild turkey. And he, and he, put, and he put this cup down like this and he pulled out a bottle. <laughs> he put it there. I go, oh, that? He says, no. I, I said, no, if I do that, I might start acting like a wild turkey. And he started laughing. I said, I don't drink, Chuck. He goes, oh, oh, okay. That's all right. And so, but anyway, it was starting to manifest a little bit on the outside of Chuck. He'd already gotten into the wild turkey, and he was starting to act like one. But anyway, so, you know, it's interesting that being filled with the Spirit, the more you get filled, 
You know, how many of you know a drinker is you can smell it on their breath? There starts to be an external manifestation. And it starts coming out different body parts. Throwing up. Having to go to the bathroom a lot. Stinky breath. And this way of acting, they start changing the way they act in the outward manifestation, not only in what physically comes out of them, but what emotionally, mentally, spiritually starts coming out of them. See, the Holy Spirit's like that. The more you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the more power can come out of you. Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who oppressed the devil. You know, the little woman with his blood touches his garment and power comes out of him. You know, punch a drunk in the belly and something will probably come out of him, you know. And so there, there's something about that. And what it says over there in Ephesians, let's, let's go there, I'll read it. Ephesians 5, and it says this. It says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to just take notice there how it says, and be filled with the Spirit. Because I really believe that being filled with the Spirit happens as a result of praying in tongues. I believe when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you start praying in tongues. But I believe when you need to be being refilled with the Holy Spirit, that happens by praying in tongues. Well, where's that in there, Pastor Bill? Well, I'm going to show you. Speaking to yourselves. Everybody say, speaking to yourselves. Because it says, be not drunk with wine, where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In the very next verse, it tells you how. Speaking to yourselves. Now, we talked about self-communication, Joshua 1.8. We talked about speaking to ourselves. There's speaking to ourselves in English, but there's also speaking to ourselves in tongues. Where's that, Pastor Bill? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14 and 28. We should speak to ourselves in tongues. Yeah, and everybody will think we're crazy. Well, you don't do that in front of people. Unless everybody in the room does it too. Then you're not in the room of the unlearned. 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll we'll go over there. I'm turning there, slowly getting there. But it says this in verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, I guess I should have read 27 because that gives the context. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, I assume you all know that. If a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or the most, by three, and that by course, let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. How? In tongues, because that's what the context is. How many know when you can speak to yourself and to God in tongues? Speaking to yourself. Well, it says speaking to yourself. Well, let's go back to Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to, and the first thing it says is speaking to yourselves. I find that interesting. Now, I'm trying to jump back around. I don't have markers in here, so give me just a moment to find my place again. So back at Ephesians 5. And then it says, speaking to yourself and to God. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now let's stop and let's look what spiritual songs means. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verses 16, he says, I will pray with the Spirit and with the understanding also. We've all heard of that before. And then it says this, and I will, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, pray with the understanding also, and I will sing with the Spirit. And well, sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall they that occupy the room of the unlearned say amen to thy giving of thanks? Sing he understandeth not what thou sayest. So there's giving of thanks, there's singing in the Spirit. What's it say in Ephesians? Speaking to yourselves in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. Everybody say spiritual songs. That's singing in tongues. That's singing in tongues. Okay. Something very powerful about that. My cousin got his PhD at Northwestern University in Chicago. He's the head of the Department of Music for uh, Indiana State University. He said that when he was learning music, 
that when his instructor would talk to him he, and try to teach him things, he would get into some really complex classical music and it would be very hard for him to do it. But he says, now, I'm going to try to teach you, but I want you to play some music while I'm teaching you. And he thought, that's the most absurd thing I ever heard. And he told me that when he would play music or start playing the music or start playing, because he's a saxophonist, he said, and his instructor would teach him while he was playing. He would remember everything and get it right away. I believe there's something about music that makes you suddenly understand things better. That's why the devil likes to put doctrines of demons to music. How many of you know, you may not remember one prayer from 30 years ago, but give me an old song I used to listen to. And you can quote that, brother. Give me one sermon from 30 years ago. Give me one prayer in that church service or one uh, portion of that sermon from 20, 30 years ago. And you're going blank. I don't remember if there was a service that day. But you can remember a song from 20 or 30 years ago. Can I get an amen? amen? There's something about the mind opens up when there's music. There's something about your heart opens up when there's music. There's something about the wisdom of the Holy Spirit saying, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to yourselves and sing to yourselves and sing in tongues to yourselves. Because hymns and psalms are in English. But when you pray in the Spirit and you sing in the Spirit, that's in tongues. Can I get an amen? And this is how you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting stuff. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your head to the Lord. Oh, excuse me, your heart. I see. So if, if a man speaking on tongue, his spirit prayeth. Everybody say spirit. That's your heart. If I speak in on tongues, my spirit prayeth. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I speak in our own tongues, my spirit prayeth. That's how I know that it's praying in the spirit. Can I get an amen? There's a lot of reasons why it's pretty obvious to me uh, why we know that has to be praying in the Spirit. And, but not unto men, but unto God. And so we can, we can be thankful that there's something about being filled with the Spirit that has to do with speaking tongues. So when people say, you know, well, I believe I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't speak in tongues. I don't believe that's the initial evidence. I'm thinking, you don't understand the whole transition from the Old Testament. What was added to the new experience of the Spirit upon? You, 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 don't, you don't have the big picture. You don't understand the whole Old Testament. There was a Spirit upon. There were seven gifts. And the major transition was a change of heart. Now we can pray out of our heart. And when you come into the New Testament, that's the big deal. That's the whole point of adding tongues and interpretation of tongues. When the human born-again spirit gets born again and recreated and now is holy and it can pray out of that venue and now all of a sudden uh, the baptism of the spirit and we pray with his tongues and Paul says if I pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth and that that's not the evidence it's like you're missing the whole point because the baptism of the spirit has to do with tongues and when we pray supernaturally, those things can happen. Now, if you haven't received, I believe everybody can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they have tongues, but not everybody has, it really, has released it. Can I get an amen? And I think those people that say, I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they know something's happened. But I don't believe the evidence of speaking tongues, and that's just wrong, wrong teaching that they've had. But what they really need to know is just that they can speak in tongues, but somebody needs to teach them how to release it. Can I get an amen? See, I believe it is the evidence of. And I believe that if they would learn how to release it, somebody would teach them. Then they would be happy because they would pray in tongues and they would have a whole other dimension of praying. Amen. All right. Let's go to the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, a lot of people say, well, see, Samaritans, they didn't speak in tongues. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Samaritans didn't speak in tongues. But what they don't know is early church history, the church fathers talked about the Samaritans speaking in tongues. So that's one reason, but let's not, let's not use that. Let's not use church history. Let's not use tradition. Let's not say, you know, just because the church fathers said they spoke in tongues, they spoke in tongues. Let's see what the Bible says, because it's very interesting when you study Acts, the eighth chapter, and speaking in tongues in the 
and them getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's go over there to Acts, the eighth chapter. All right. Trying to get there. Acts 8. I know I'm going, I'm going slow, but I want you all to just pay attention here. We all know that Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and they hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And many signs and wonders were done. Many uh, were healed. The palsy and demons came out. And there was great joy in the city. And we go to verse 10. And then we go to verse 12. And it talks about, but when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Everybody circled believed and baptized in verse 12. But when they believed, Philip's preaching, and it says they were saved in, in verse 5. And then it says, and they, and they were baptized, both men and women. Everybody say believed and baptized. Go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believe and baptized shall be saved. He that believe and is baptized shall be saved. So these are saved people. Can I get an amen? They believed and they were baptized. Okay, now let's go on to verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard the Samaritans had received the word of God, and we know that receiving the word of God is being born again, because it says being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed, even as the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. We know people are born again when they receive the word. And when they received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Yeah, these people who believed and were baptized needed to receive the Holy Ghost. Not the spirit within, but the spirit upon For as of yet he was fallen upon, everybody say fallen upon, none of them. Now he was in them, but hadn't come upon them yet. So here's a bunch of people that are saved. Philip's preached to them. They all got saved, and there was great joy in the city. And the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's how you know the kingdom of God has moved in, because there's great joy in the city. And the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord is a, a sign and a fruit of the Spirit. And so we know they were saved. And he said, you need to go down there. And he prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Ever say they received the Holy Ghost? That doesn't say they spoke in tongues. So a lot of people kind of go wild and say, well, what? see, see there, we don't see anybody speaking in tongues there. And they start saying, well, what is that? Well, I want to just point out some indicators, and then I'm going to close the deal. But first of all, in verse 16, it says, upon. Everybody say, upon. The relationship of the Spirit upon is the baptism of the Spirit. And so we know we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit. Number two, and they laid hands on them. How many know you don't have to lay hands on people to get them saved? You just preach to them. Laying hands is the, is the, is the New Testament way of uh, helping people to receive the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them. Then it says, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. So how many of you know uh, you can't see the Holy Ghost come into somebody or come upon somebody? How many of you know you can't see the Holy Ghost come into somebody? How many of you know you can't see the Holy Ghost come upon somebody? How many of you know the Holy Ghost is invisible? So what did Simon see? He saw him speaking in tongues. I'm going to prove that in the next couple of verses. He saw them... Receive the Holy Ghost. Well, what does that mean? And Simon saw them. And, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. And he offered to give them money, saying, Give me also this power, and you shall receive what after the Holy Ghost comes upon you? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So he saw a power. Let me say he saw a power. Okay. So he saw a manifestation of power. How many of you know the, the, the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost are manifestations of power? Because it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Now the manifestations of the Spirit are, and it lists the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost. So the gifts of the Holy Ghost are manifestations of power. Simon saw a power, and he said the Holy Ghost was given them, and he saw it, and he saw it through the laying on of hands, and he saw the Spirit come upon, or he said, they said it was, uh, it would not fallen upon them yet. So we're talking about upon. Now let's keep reading. Saying, give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God. Okay, let's, let's talk about gifts for a second. Now we know that when you go into the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, it talks about one of the gifts is speaking in tongues. 
And now it's calling it the gift. So we know it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And now it says that the gift of God may not be purchased with money. And then we go to verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. And here's the key. When you look up that word matter in the Greek, it's the word logos. So now we know it has to do with words. You have no part nor lot in this, lo- in this logos, in this type of logos, this type of words. How I many you know logos means words? Rhema means, you know, like spoken word as in preaching and the Holy Spirit illuminating. But logos just means words in a general, in a general sense, in a general meaning. So, you, you, so let's just go through it. And it says that the, for the Holy Ghost had not fallen upon any of them. And so they laid their hands on them like we're instructed to do for the Holy Spirit. And then Simon saw something that was indicative that the Holy Ghost was given. And he saw a manifestation of power. Peter called it one of the gifts or the gift of God. And then in the Greek, it says you have no partner lot in this type of words. So now we know it's words of some kind coming out of their mouth. Well, how many of you know you wouldn't try to pay money if someone was just speaking in English and it was normal to speaking? Can I get an amen? Why would he want to pay money for this special power from the Holy Ghost that on the day of Pentecost, we'll, we'll talk about all the other places where they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues, and it's made very clear in Scripture. But why would he want to pay for something if they were just speaking in his language? That doesn't make any sense to me. So this Logos power that's called a gift that he wants to pay money for that he could see manifest as power, obviously, is tongues. And so... And let's say, well, maybe it isn't. Well, so then what you do in Scripture, one of the most basic interpreting skills and tenets and uh, basic rules of interpreting Scripture is go to all the other Scriptures that talk about the same thing and find out what it means. So Acts 2.4, let's go there real quickly, and we'll find out in Acts 2.4, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon, everybody say upon, each of them. And they were all, everybody say all, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, prophecy. No, they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, that's the 120, the Jewish disciples that were under Jesus. Now let's go to the Gentiles and see what happens. Go to Acts 10 and verse 44 through 46. So now we've got, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them. Everybody say on. On all of them that heard the word. And they which of the circumcision which believed were astonished that as many as came with Peter, that on the Gentiles also is poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Wow. So now that's another time where the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, just like Acts 2.4. And now we've got the Gentiles in Acts 10. And now we go to Acts 19, and we'll see on the, down at Ephesus, and we know that Ephesus was filled with Greeks and all kinds of different people. And we can see in Ephesus... And there were believers down there. It was the big, one of the biggest churches, Acts 19 and 6. It says this, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, everybody say on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So speaking in tongues is in every case. But then we go to Acts 8 and the Samaritans. It doesn't specifically say tongues, but all indications and everything we points to that it was tongues, because there would be no reason why Simon would want to buy it if it was just normal language. So, I believe this, uh, that tongues can be found in all these different places, and that we need to take very seriously that God wants us to go out and to teach people to uh, speak in tongues. Now, one of the biggest problems I find, I'm talking about this because, number one, I want this church to be able to explain Yes, tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want this church to be able to explain that. Then I also want this church to take people who have prayed for the Holy Ghost and feel like they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the tongues to help teach them that 
there has to be a release. And when you release your prayer language, when you understand how to release your prayer language, then in most cases, you can begin to pray in tongues. Now, one thing that I always teach people when we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, first thing before you talk about anything else is, number one, you're probably not going to receive, you're not going to receive the gift of tongues. That's for the church where you get up in front of the church, you give the tongue, and then you give the interpretation. Generally, that's for pastors and leaders. I'm not saying it couldn't happen to any lay person. It certainly can. But generally speaking, that's not, and it's generally not going to speak, going to happen the first time you speak in tongues. Okay. Secondly, the type of tongues that's for assigned to the unbeliever is the guy that goes out and preaches in a foreign language, and people hear him in their own language. When you pray for somebody to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's highly unlikely that that type of tongues is going to happen. Can I get an amen? But what is available to all, I believe, is when we pray in tongues, because how many of you know prayer is for everybody? Everybody needs to pray. And one thing about prayer, I believe that's the new tongues that it talks about. And Jesus said, they'll cast out devils and they will speak with new tongues. Well, Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, and I'm not love, I'm as a gonging bell. There's only one other type of tongue that's mentioned in the Bible. We can speak with already existing languages that we don't know. We can speak, obviously, in angelic languages that we don't know. And we can speak in the language of the world of not yet that we don't know. How many of you know 20 years, 50 years ago, we didn't know what gigabyte was going to mean? Because somebody made it up. How many of you know that all language is only made up? There's not one word in the in human language that hasn't been made. On the day of ba- when, the, when the Tower of Babel came down, when God confused man's language at the Tower of Babel, and everybody went their way and everybody spoke a different language. Now, maybe before that it was God's language. Maybe Hebrew was God's original tongue. And some people believe that. And maybe there was only one language, and it was Hebrew. And it was the language that God taught Adam and Eve, and, and all those things. And that could be true. But after Babel, all language is made up. Everybody say, made up. Because you can go, and, and, and you can speak in German, and it's eins. You can speak in Spanish, and it's uno. And you can speak in English, and it's one. Which one's right? They all are. Because language is just something you make up. Can I get an Amen. How many, you know, every word of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many, know, every single one of those words is made up. Somebody made it up in English. Somebody made it up in German. Somebody made it up in Spanish. Every word in the human language is made up by man. By his imagination. By his imagination. What he imagined. Because God told Adam to name all the animals. And he imagined what a good verbalization for that creature was. And we create verbalizations for thoughts. Can I get an amen? We create verbalization for thoughts. We create verbalizations for thoughts. Let me say it again. We create verbalizations for thoughts, even if it's prayer thoughts. Can I get an amen? So now I'm leading you into understanding tongues. I'm going to lead you into understanding tongues a little bit better. New tongues or creational level tongues. When you pray in tongues, guess what? His thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and his ways above ours. So you can't know. You don't have enough words to pray what needs to be prayed. You couldn't have enough words because God, unless, do you think you know how to create a universe? God does. So do you have the words to teach someone how to create a universe? God knows how to create a universe. Do you know how to create a universe? No. So then there must be thoughts that God has that we don't have. Can I get an amen? So there's an intelligence level up there that we don't have down here. Because his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Even as the heavens are above the skies, so are his thoughts and ways above our thoughts and ways. Okay. So we've got a language deficit in relationship the thoughts that need to be prayed. God knows kajillions and trillions of things that there are no words for. Trillions and trillions of things there's no words for. He has infinite knowledge. We have limited knowledge. We've gone from, in the time of Shakespeare, 
where he had 26,000 words in his vocabulary to the average person in America having 3,000 words. I think it's 3,600 words in their vocabulary. From 26,000 to 3,600? Wow. You see, there's way more things that need to be prayed than we have words for. And God's going to allow us to make the verbalization, just like he does with math, just like he allows us to make the verbalization with science, just like with computer technology and calling it gigabyte. Well, that was real deep, calling it gigabyte. I, I, I use that word because I almost can't say it sounds so stupid. But he allows us to make up words for everything else. We, make all, we made up all the words for the Lord's Prayer. And you know what? He'll allow us to begin to speak words, and he'll assign meanings to them as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because we know not how to pray as we ought. We know not how to pray as we ought. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, we don't know how to pray as we should. For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What are groanings which cannot be uttered? In other words, it says inexpressible words. In other words, yearnings and desires that there are no words for, one translator says. That there are no words for. I would say that there are no words for. The Holy Ghost will cause you to just make utterances. Just like your intellect will cause you to make up a word for the concept of gigabyte. How many of you know the dictionary is growing every year? It gets bigger every year. So there's a whole bunch of people still making up words, aren't there? Making them up. Making them up. There's no rhyme or reason. I mean, they use a little Latin sometimes, and it makes a little sense, especially in the medical world. But, but for the most part, there isn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason why we call something. I mean, there, there, there's, there's kind of a family tree of words. There's etymological origin and, and development and kind of evolving into other words and meanings. But, but to a large degree, those words are made up that we're using from the Latin. Somebody made them up somewhere. So do we make up words when we pray in tongues? I think in creational tongues, and, and we speak with new tongues, I think that, yes, we do. I don't think we just make them up with just our imagination. I think us, by the Holy Spirit, it says they were all filled with uh, the Spirit and began to speak, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke with tongues, but the Spirit gave them the utterance. God allowed us to use our imagination, and then he sealed the deal and made it a prayer. Kind of like he allowed Adam to name the animals, and that became their official name. Just like when we begin to name the words, then that becomes our official prayer. Can I get an amen? Because there isn't words for it. So who's going to make up the words? Are we afraid to? Because they're words that we may not know what they mean. We don't have to know what they mean. And he commands us, and he tells us for sure that we won't know what they mean. I spit on the tongue, my spirit breath, but my understanding is unfruitful. So if you begin to just say words, you're not outside the realm. You're not in disobedience. Now, when you get up and give a tongues, you know, I began to speak in tongues, and I thought for sure you couldn't have convinced me different. There's no way you could have twisted my arm behind my back and made me think otherwise. I was sure that I was making up this word, shalom. I'd never heard the word shalom before in my life. So I said, I'm just going to jump start this thing. I'm going to kick start it. And I'm just going to start saying shalom, shalom. And all of a sudden, shalom turned into a whole bunch of other words. And, I started, and all of a sudden, all depression went away. And I had total joy. And I completely became like a different person. Shalom. And then they spoiled. My mom spoiled. My, they burst my bubble. And they said, well, that's already a word. That's a Hebrew word. And what does it mean? Because I'm depressed, and I want to invite the Holy Spirit. It means welcome and peace. So I was welcoming the Holy Spirit, and I got peace when I, when I said it. Isn't that interesting that God would use the word shalom that I thought I made up? You may be thinking you're making it up, and it may be God placing words in your mouth to pray the exact perfect prayer that you had no idea that you should be praying. A spirit-empowered prayer that's supernatural. Can I get an amen? Well, we're out of time. But I, I believe this, that... God wants us to be active agents. I mean, there's kids over in Central getting baptized. There's kids on campus here getting. And the, the guy that's head of, of uh, what's the ministry called again? Uh, University. He's, he's over both Pella uh, at Central and William Penn. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, man, I'm going for it. I think we should jump in and help him. Can I get an amen? Oh, as a matter of fact, we were here first. Oh, that, that's right. We've been doing this for 20 years. But anyway... That's, that's really what God wants us to do. So let's all stand up. And I don't know if you learned anything. I don't know if that helped you. 
But I think there's a lot of clear evidence that tongues really is the evidence, but people just need to be taught a little bit better. Can I get an amen? They just need to be taught a little bit better. There's a reason why there was no tongues in the Old Testament and there is in the New Testament. There's a reason that there's this big transition, there's this big changeover. So I just really believe that God wants us to have everything that he has for us. Amen?